You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. So, as we have prepared in this ark for Easter with our Easter sermon, as we jump forward once again to Matthew chapter 26, as I was thinking about this passage this morning, I was reminded of a story that I saw and really became aware of um, earlier this week. And this is the picture of the man of who that story is about. You may know this story, you may not, and that's okay if you don't. I didn't till earlier this week. But this is Archie Williams, and this is a picture of him when he was 22 years old. And as this true story goes, one night while Archie was sleeping, not very far away, a woman was um, beaten and raped and almost murdered by an intruder who had come into her home. And Archie, despite the fact that he had never met this woman, despite the fact that he was asleep, despite the fact that no evidence of any kind was found at the scene implicating him in what happened, despite the fact that fingerprints, fingerprints were lifted from the crime scene and they did not match Archie's, and despite the fact that three um, witnesses with sworn testimony said they knew that he was asleep because they were his neighbors and they had seen him never leave his home and all this other stuff, despite all this overwhelming evidence that he was innocent, he was convicted of a crime that he did not do, and he was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. And all this happened not because of what he had done, but because of who he was. And we hear this story, and we hear these facts, and how can we not respond with indignation and frustration and maybe even anger? What an incredible miscarriage of justice. This is so profoundly wrong in so many ways, and this is our story in God's Word this morning. Jesus now is going to be arrested, not because of what he has done, because he's innocent. There are no charges that can be brought against him. No, he's going to be arrested not because of what he's done, but because of who he is. And it is a profound miscarriage of justice. And for those of you who maybe aren't familiar with the Easter story, I'm just giving you a heads up again that today and next week and on Good Friday, the story is going to get darker and darker. And it looks like an absolute disaster is unfolding right before us. And yet the power of God's word, the power of this passage is such that there is profound application for us. There is profound hope and truth and reality despite the brokenness that is in our world, despite the brokenness that is in our lives, despite the brokenness that comes for us in unexpected ways that is so discouraging and hurtful and disorienting and confusing. There's hope. And we're going to look at that hope here together as we look at the arrest of Jesus. So if you have a Bible, however you get to that, if it's a hardcover Bible, you pull out your phone or some app, or you just want to watch what I put up on the screen and read to you here. This is Matthew chapter 26, verses 45 through 56. And a little context here as we jump into this. If you were with us last week, you remember that Jesus predicted that Peter was going to deny him, not once, not twice, but three times, and that the disciples were going to abandon him. And then he takes 
some of the disciples with him to the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives, and they're, they're praying together, and Jesus three times asks them to pray with him, and they go to sleep all three times. Each time he comes back to find them, they're, they're sleeping, and he is agonizing over what he knows is coming, and he's pleading with the Father, if there's any other way but the cross, please, please can we do that? And the Father basically says, no, this is the way, and Jesus willingly submits himself to the Father, and now this is what happens in the story. He then returned to the disciples and said to them, this is the third and final time, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. And while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. And with him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. So going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and he kissed him. Jesus replied, Do what you came for, friend. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? And in that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, am I leading a rebellion that you've come out with me with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching and you did not arrest me. But this has all taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. And then all the disciples deserted him, and they fled. Dark. Boy, this is a dark passage. And it feels like an absolute disaster because now Jesus is being arrested. Not because he's done something wrong, but because of who he claims to be. And so as we pick up the story here, we see, and we have to remember this, that Jesus is not a victim in this. Jesus is a willing participant in the plan of the Father for him to eventually go to the cross, die a horrible, excruciating death, taking all of our brokenness and sin upon himself, rising again on the third day, which is what we'll celebrate on Easter Sunday, in order to give us right relationship with him and with each other. Jesus is... He is submitting to this plan. He is participating in this plan. And even though it looks like a disaster, this is actually all going according to plan. And Judas, in his shrewdness, knows exactly where to find Jesus because we're told as we follow the arc of Jesus and his disciples and where they spent time together and how they spent time together, many times they would be together on the Mount of Olives. So Judas knows exactly where to go. And my friends, I've been there. Thanks to your generosity in sending Jamie and me to Israel some five years ago, we were on the Mount of Olives. This is a picture taken from my phone at the top of the Mount of Olives. You can see old Jerusalem there in that picture. That shiny dome is Dome of the Rock. It is an Islamic holy site that is built on the exact place of where the Jewish temple would have been in Jesus' time. And in fairness, 
Um, they call it the Mount of Olives. Being Northwesterners, we'd probably call it a hill or a butte. Pal Butte would be real close to how big it is. I mean, it's not huge. It's, it's a hill. But regardless, it's a climb. And we climbed down the mountain. And, you know, you got to realize this happened a couple thousand years ago. So many of the olive trees and olive groves are gone. But there is a, a collection of them at a place called the Church of All Nations at the base of the hill. And there's still olive trees there. They estimate this olive tree is well over a thousand years old. And um, it's just, it's remarkable. But to stand somewhere in the place where all this happened is just, it's hard to describe. But this is where all this took place. And Judas knew exactly where to go in order to lead this mob, this crowd, to come arrest him. And we have a pretty good idea who was in the crowd. Many scholars believe that because it just, their weapons are described this way, the clubs are the Jewish temple guard and the swords represent the Roman soldiers. But regardless of who was there, this was a deliberate attempt at shock and awe. This was a large crowd, and they were coming to make sure that things would happen the way they needed to happen, that a rebellion wouldn't happen, that a riot wouldn't happen, and we'll come back to that in just a little bit. But now Judas enters the story once again. And for those of you who have read this chapter or are familiar with it, you know that the last time we left Judas was at the last supper, the last meal that Jesus ate the night before all this was taking place here in the early morning. And Judas betrays Jesus. And he leaves to go do this at this meal. Now, my friends, in Near Eastern culture, that would have been considered absolutely despicable and heinous. Because in that culture, and in many cultures today, when you eat a meal with someone, you are communicating loyalty and friendship and trust. In fact, that's why, especially in the Old Testament, but even in the New, we see these covenants and these agreements and these treaties and these, these wedding feasts. They're, they're, all, they're all sealed by a meal that everyone has together because that was a way in that culture to say, I trust you, we're in a relationship together, we're friends and so for someone to betray someone who they had eaten a meal with on a continual basis, as Judas had with Jesus, was considered absolutely despicable. How in the world could someone betray like that? But it actually gets worse from there. Because many scholars believe also in that time that a student of a Jewish rabbi would never address them. They would never initiate the greeting. Because that communicated disrespect and it communicated equality. Students always waited for the rabbis to teach to them or speak to them first. So for Judas to come and to speak directly to Jesus in this context, many scholars believe was an absolute sign of where his heart really was. It was devaluing. It was demeaning. It was declaring himself equal to Jesus. But then what he did... It was customary to greet someone with a kiss in that culture. And again, that's, that's common in many cultures around the world today, a kiss on the cheek or both cheeks. And so Jesus is pretending like, excuse me, Judas is pretending like this is no big deal and everything's the way it should be. And he betrays Jesus with a kiss. And interestingly, he addresses him as rabbi or teacher. My friends, Judas is the only disciple, the only person in the entire gospel of Matthew who only speaks to Jesus as teacher or rabbi. Not once does he call him Lord. 
because he wasn't his Lord. And all this points to and signals the depth of the betrayal that is going on here. It's, it's just almost unimaginable. And how does Jesus respond? How would you respond? How would I respond with this kind of betrayal? Do what you came for, friend. And again, this is something very deliberate. Many scholars believe, and it makes sense to me, that Matthew is capturing throughout our gospel. Jesus only addresses people as friend in this manner three times in the Gospel of Matthew. And every single time, it is someone who is taking advantage of a privileged relationship or someone who is abusing a privileged relationship. In the story of the workers and the wages, in that parable, it's the guy who says, hey, you're not paying me what you said you would. And he's addressed in the parable by the employer as, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. The parable of the wedding banquet where a guy is there who should not be there. Why are you here, friend? And then in this example, come do what you came to do, friend. In this context, this is a very patient but deliberate warning. And once again, Judas is being offered grace He's being offered a chance, another chance to repent. And we've talked about this reality before, but whenever you see the judgment of God in the Bible, Old Testament or New, you will always see it preceded by grace, by the opportunity to do what's right or to respond out of trust and obedience to God. And many times you'll see grace right in the midst of judgment, and that's what we see going on here. Could it be that Jesus is offering Judas another way out all the way to the very end? And I believe the answer is yes. But Judas isn't going to take it. And look what happens here. We're told that one of Jesus' companions draws his sword and misses chopping off the head so he gets the ear of the servant of the high priest. Well, we know from the other Gospels that the details they give us in John chapter 18, we're told the person who drew the sword was Peter. And the guy, the high priest, the servant of the high priest, rather, his name is Malchus. So we know more detail on what happened here. And in Luke's gospel, in Luke chapter 22, Jesus, after Peter cuts off Malchus's ear, he heals it. Now, what would have happened if Jesus wouldn't have done that? We don't know, but it makes you wonder, could it be on that Easter morning there might have been four crosses? with Peter on one of them. We just, we don't know. But this is what we do know. Malchus's ear is, is healed. And so Jesus responds to this by saying, put your sword in its place. And then he says, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Now there are some who have said, see, this proves pacifism is what Jesus was all about. That that is the correct approach. And, you know, parking that argument for just a minute, I think it goes way deeper than just pacifism. He is showing the difference between how his kingdom works and how the world's kingdoms or kingdom works. And Peter still doesn't understand how God's kingdom works. And we're not being critical of him here. It's just a reality borne out by the fact that he reaches for his sword to defend Jesus, which, by the way, was a profoundly courageous thing to do. He's outnumbered. They're outgunned, so to speak. And Peter, out of his loyalty to Jesus, 
draws his sword and puts his life on the line. It's a tremendous, courageous thing to do, but the wrong thing to do because Jesus is saying this is not, once again, how the kingdom works. And we need to remember this because some of us, by what we do and how we act and the choices we make, even as Jesus' followers shows, we still don't quite understand how God's kingdom to work works because Jesus made it really clear there's two kingdoms you're either in his or you're in the wrong kingdom and a broken kingdom and it is a kingdom that tries to get its way through the sword through political means through social means through financial means through military means Jesus is basically saying here that in the broken kingdom of this world the path to power is the sword If you want to exert influence, you use the sword. If you want to impose your will, you use the sword. If someone meets you with a sword, you meet them back with the sword. And he's basically saying if you you are going to turn to violence, the violence of this broken kingdom and this broken world we're in, then that's ultimately going to be your fate. If you draw the sword, you're going to die by the sword. That is not how the kingdom of God works. The kingdom of God is not a social political revolution. It is about a revolution of the heart. It goes far deeper than those other means and is far more enduring and is far more lasting because Jesus did not come to bring judgment. He came to bear judgment through the cross. Now, when he comes back a second time, he will bring judgment but not this time. And so Jesus confronts the cowardice of this crowd, and we know that this is a cowardly thing for them to do because Matthew drops a hint for us in the beginning of this chapter where he says, they deliberately did not choose to arrest Jesus during the daytime when he was in the temple courts teaching, when he was out in public, because they were afraid there would be a riot. And so they come at night in order to arrest him. They come with this shock and awe crowd to crush this rebellion that he's not leading. And he calls him out on it and says, basically, I'm not a zealot. I'm not leading a rebellion. You want to see shock and awe? You want to come with overwhelming force? Do you realize I have 12 legions of angels at my disposal? You really want to go there? And a legion was 6,000 Roman soldiers. So if we're being literal here, this is 72,000 angels. And whether this was an actual number or a symbolic number is not the point. The point is Jesus, if he wanted to, could call upon overwhelming force himself. And he's calling them out on their cowardice and by what they're doing. Why are you arresting me? You had every chance to arrest me all this time. And you know what you're doing is wrong. That's why you're coming at night so you can get your way. So you can have me arrested. And yet, Jesus is not a victim here. Twice in this passage, he says, actually, this has to happen. I knew it would happen. I'm not a victim of this. This is part of the plan. And one of the first things when I read this passage that speaks so powerfully to me, and I think is very, very evident and very explicit in this passage, is the reality that we need to trust the purposes and the plan of God, even when it looks like a total disaster. And this looks like a total disaster. It looks like the kingdom of God that Jesus is bringing is now over because he's done. He's arrested, and things are going to go from bad to worse from here. But my friends, this is not spin. 
What we're talking about here is not spin. We're not saying, boy, look at all these wonderful things that are happening here. We're saying that despite the brokenness, in the face of this selfishness and sinfulness and awfulness of what's going to play out now and in the weeks to come in the Easter story, God is somehow weaving and pulling all that together to accomplish his purposes and his plan. Do you believe that? Sometimes it's awfully hard to do so, not just with the Easter story, but with our story. How do you and I respond when our life falls apart? When our life feels like an absolute disaster? When we get blindsided by something we never saw coming? You ever heard of 2020? right? Are we not all there, and will we not all be there again and again and again? For some of you, it's the loss of a job. You lost your job last year. You have not been able to find another one. Or your work situation has changed, and not for the better. Some of you, it's relationships. For a number of you, I know that it is relationships. You have relationships that are falling apart. You've been betrayed by someone. You've been hurt by someone. Or you just, as so many do right now in this season, feel so profoundly lonely. And some of you, it's other circumstances. You know, your, your health has gone south when you least expected it. And you are suffering as a result. Daily life has changed for you, and it may be changed forever. And others of you, you have experienced a loss in your life, and you're reeling and hurting from it. Can we not all relate to the reality, to the fact that sometimes it is so profoundly difficult to trust the purposes and the plan of God when you don't see it, when you don't think you're experiencing it, when it doesn't make sense? when your life feels like a disaster, like this story that played out 2,000 years ago does. And it's precisely during those times when we go looking deliberately for the grace of God. The grace of God is in this story. The grace of God is in your story. And just so we're on the same page, the grace of God, if we had to put a definition on it, is God's freely unearned given love for the sake of right relationship with Him, right relationship with others, and empowerment to serve him and others. He is constantly coming to you and me with grace. Man, we see it in the lives of all people, in the life of Judas. How many times, even in this very story, does he have the opportunity to respond to God's grace and to turn from his selfishness and his sinfulness and his betrayal You start looking at the story of Judas, he has multiple, multiple, multiple chances to respond to the grace of God, and the same is true for you. Do you really think it's coincidence that you're watching this, that you're listening to this this morning? This is the grace of God coming at you again calling you from a life of brokenness, calling me from a life of sinfulness and selfishness and denial of him and betrayal of him, to a life of hope and blessing and joy and peace. This is what you and I are looking for in so many broken ways. And he's calling you and me once again away from that. 
And so there is a question, many questions actually, that linger in this passage, but here's one of them. What happened to Malchus? He almost gets his head chopped off. He's probably lucky that Peter was a fisherman and not a swordsman. He loses an ear. And Jesus heals him before they lead him away. Man, the grace of God. Did Malchus deserve to have his ear healed? No. But Jesus, despite the fact that Malchus is part of this mob, this crowd, who were unjustly arresting him, he heals his ear. What happened to Malchus? Did he choose because of what Jesus did to believe in who Jesus said he truly was? Did he respond to the miracle in his life? It's one of the great questions that hangs over this story, and there's a question that also hangs over this story for you. Have you responded to the grace of God in your life? This God who comes to you and says, do you really want to live in a selfish, self-focused, sinful life when what I have for you is so much better than that? Don't let me make you religious. Let me make you new. The blessing you're looking for in all these broken places, you can have through right relationship with me. But you got to respond. you got to receive Jesus into your life. Because Jesus is not leading a rebellion. He's leading a revolution. A revolution of the heart. Once again, you're either in one kingdom or the other. You're in a kingdom of the rebellion or you're in the kingdom of the revolution where this God is taking all wrongs and in the process of his grace and his presence and his power and his mercy and the empowerment of his spirit, he's, he's in the process of making all those wrongs right. In fact, I'll give you a spoiler alert here. I'll give you a little hint. Where we're going on Easter is we're going to look at what difference does the resurrection make? I mean, if we can be really honest, who cares? So Jesus resurrected from the dead. What, does it, what difference does it make to us? Well, one of those differences is, is this reality we're looking at now, that this is a God who's in the process of making all wrongs right. It is the great reversal of the brokenness of this world that we all experience in our lives and see all around us every day, which again brings us back to you and me. This morning, are you a betrayer or are you a believer? Because you're one or the other. You're either in God's kingdom or, or you're not, and you're living a life for yourself. If Jesus were to speak to you audibly and directly here this morning, and quite honestly, I believe he's speaking to you and me through his word this morning. He already is, but let's just say you hear the audible voice of God, and Jesus calls you friend. What would the tone be? Would it be this tone? Would it be the warning of, do you really want to continue to live like you're living? Do you really want to continue to choose what you're choosing? Or would it be this use of friend that Jesus uses for those who truly are his friends, 
who truly have received his grace and responded to his mercy and responded to him by receiving them into their lives. In John's gospel, he says this, you're my friends if you do what I command because that shows that you know him. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I've learned from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me. I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. You're either Jesus' friend or you're his foe this morning. So which one are you? Which one are you and I living like? Because we actually have a choice. Because one of the realities here is the kingdom of God, right relationship with God, isn't necessarily about what you know. It's about who you know. So do you know him? Because if you do, an expression of his grace in your life is the empowerment and the enablement to live the way he's called you to live, to have for your own and to grab for yourself the blessings that he promises to you. You and I can do this. We can live in right relationship with God and right relationship with each other. Even when brokenness comes our way, even when someone betrays us, even when someone wrongs us, even when someone perpetuates an injustice against us. Because my friends, we are called to live out the promise and the hope of redemption. We have a God who is in the process of setting all wrongs right. Do you believe that? And if it doesn't happen in this world, it will happen in the world and the life to come. As bad as things are, they will get better. As good as things are, they'll get even better. Do you believe that? If you are in the kingdom of God. Because it's true. This morning, will you leave the rebellion and join the revolution? The revolution of the heart? The change from the inside out that only comes through knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the only path to blessing Because the injustice we see, the suffering we see, the wrongs that we see are all ultimately going to be righted by this amazing God because of the resurrection of Jesus. And we will celebrate that and look at that at greater detail on Easter. And so it brings us back to the story of Archie Williams. I didn't tell you this part because I didn't want it to take away in any way, shape, or form, or dilute the significance of this story. For those of you who know this story, and worship team, you can come on up as we prepare to respond to this. For those of you who know this story, I first became aware of it this last week when I was watching a YouTube clip of America's Got Talent, of all things. And this is listed, and you can go YouTube it and search it for yourself, among the most inspirational auditions of Who's Got Talent. And Archie Williams comes out, and before he sings this Elton John song, he says, I was imprisoned for 37 years for something I never did. And that crowd absolutely goes silent. And then he begins to tell the story of languishing in prison for 37 years for a crime he never committed. Arrested not because of what he did, but because of who he was. A profound, gross miscarriage of justice. Now, if that was your story, 
or if that was mine. If 37 of your years of your life had been taken from you, you're now 58, 59 years old. How would you be? Would you be bitter? Would you be vengeful? Would you want revenge? Yeah. I'm afraid I would. And as he told his story, as he told about the Innocence Project, advocating for him all those years, as he told the story of a judge who looked at the evidence against him for less than an hour and freed him, there was no bitterness. There was no angry statements of revenge. Anger, absolutely. Righteous anger, for sure, because he had been wronged. But he allowed something about prayer in there. And I have a feeling that they selectively aired what he actually said on the show. Because I went back and I read his story, and I want to leave you with a quote from him because I had a suspicion that he was in the kingdom, that he was a Jesus follower, that he had responded to the grace of God in his life despite the brokenness, despite the injustice that he had endured all those years. And this is what he said, quote, since I can remember in life, my relationship has always been with God, believing in him and trusting in him. I don't know what other people's beliefs are, but that's my belief, and that's where I get everything from. This morning, as we respond to God's Word, as we sing this song, as we listen to these words, will you make this your story? Will you respond to the grace of God all over again? For those of you who are in the kingdom, Will you remember what he's done for you? Will you anchor yourself to trusting and believing him even when it doesn't make sense to do so? Because this is the God who is bringing the kingdom. This is the God who is bringing the revolution and he invites you into it and he invites you to be a part of it. So let's do just that. For you and me to respond to his grace. So... Have you done that? That's a one-time thing. As you step over from death to life, as you leave the kingdom of the rebellion and you step into the kingdom of the revolution of the heart, but it's also an ongoing thing that you and I do as we choose to trust and obey him, even when it's difficult, even when it doesn't make sense, even when it's in the face of brokenness and betrayal and heartache. We can live this way because the empowerment of his grace. So I would like to pray his blessing over you. And as I do so, I know that in a gathering this size and with the reach of this online medium that we have, that there are some of you who you're right there, you're, you're wrestling with, do I step over from death to life? Do I leave this kingdom I've been in for the kingdom of the Son of God? And 
And there are others of us who, once again, we need to embrace his grace, respond to his grace, choose to believe his grace with what we're up against right now. So let me pray his blessing over each of us. Lord, I thank you that we can enter your kingdom. We can choose you because you have chosen us. Because of your death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus, everything has changed. We have hope. We have purpose. We have peace. We have life. Lord, I know that there are some who are watching and listening to this who have yet to make that their own, who have yet to make you their very own. So Lord, would they choose now to say to you audibly or even with their heart, I receive you, Jesus. I want to know you. I want you into my life. I want to follow you. And Lord, for those of us who do know you, who are a part of your kingdom, would we once again grab onto your grace with both hands, with both hands of our hearts, and would we choose to believe you for what you say? Would we choose to trust and obey you even when it doesn't make sense, even when it's hard, even when we don't want to? Would we anchor ourselves to the reality that you love us, that you want to bless our lives if we will let you? So would we let you do that on your terms and not ours? And I thank you, God, that you are with each and every one of us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you've made that choice to step into his kingdom here this morning, I'm going to ask you to do something that might feel a little difficult, but would you tell someone somehow, some way, if you're in the room here, would you tell one of us, tell the person you came with, if you're watching and worshiping online, would you reach out to tell someone? And guys, you can do that through our website. We would love to hear that you have made this choice to follow Jesus because we want to help you grow in this relationship now. But for all of us, I'd like to end our time with this blessing out of the book of Hebrews at the very end of this amazing letter it says this now may the God of peace who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus that great shepherd of the sheep may he equip you with everything good for doing his will and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever amen so now go and live for him and we hope to see you again next week Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.